as humanity, if we got anything right, is our knowledge is getting easier to consume. It's, it's more accessible. And so younger people are smarter. It's a thing. So you, you, you might have had that same level of confidence and knowledge 20 years ago at the age of 40. Welcome back to another installment of the Perspective Podcast. My name is Devin. This is my co-host, Mitch Harley. And today on this episode, we have Kobe uh, Simmet, right? 100%. Awesome. And we're talking about um, the Kobe story. How did he get here? Where's he going? Um, And uh, just some of the challenges he's faced along the way. Uh, So to kick things off... Um, let's just, you know, get right, right down to the, to the brass tacks of things. When, when you decided to, uh, jump into business for yourself, um, and, and move into that space, what was some of the, uh, bigger mental hurdles that you had to face to, uh, overcome that and and get into the position that you're in right now? Yeah, look, that, that's a great question. I think for me, um, the, the mental hurdle for me was why am I in a job? Um, you know, my, my dad has run a small business his whole life, you know, you know, my whole life from when I was born. Um, and so the, I I think the mental health, not the mental, the mental hurdle for me was really about why am I working? Like, what's this job thing? I don't understand it. I didn't understand the politics. People were holding me back. Um, and so it it was kind of like, you know, the broader community is, ah, you work in a job, you don't start a business. And so I, I was in confusion. I think for me, uh, personally, um, I've always been very entrepreneurial. I love people. I'm a battery charger. You know, I'm, a, I'm have a lot of positive energy and outflowing energy, and I'm more consciously doing you know more things to project more energy because I know I can have a positive impact on people and make people smile. Um, and so for me, I think it wasn't so much about how do I do this, how do I start this. Um, it, it was about why am I doing something different. And, and so if you are somebody who is who kind of knows deep down in your heart that you're destined for something bigger, uh, the, the simple, I guess the simple thing is that you are listening to this podcast, you are listening to this interview, and, and so you are thinking about this. And so you've got to actually, you've got to open your heart. You've, you've got to go, I've got to let this thing out. And so for me, that was really the biggest hurdle was, was why why am I keeping it in? So if you're somebody who's listening to this podcast, you're somebody kind of exploring that idea of starting a business or you're in a business and and when you are by yourself and you've got clear mind, you think, you know what, I'm destined for something bigger. You're frustrated it's not growing fast enough. You're frustrated that why is this a challenge? This should be easier. All that sort of stuff. That's just a sign that you need to do more. Like that you should be using that to like that is the the positive terminal on the battery that you've got to connect with and use that to say, well, if I am frustrated that it's not going as well as it should be, and if I know that I should be doing more, then you should be gassing that up and like, and like pedal to the metal. So where, where was it that you decided, Hey, this is the direction I'm going to go. You you already had that drive in you. You recognize that I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to do something for myself. And, you know, I could make stickers and sell them online, or I could go down this direction. What was that motivation for that direction for you? That was year four in, in grade school. Um, and when the teacher said, what are you going to be when you grow up? I'm like, I'm going to be an architect. I'm going to run a company. I'm going to, I'm going to be a builder. Um, I watched my dad. That's what, that's what my dad did. He's a contractor. Um, and, and so I was like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. However, I felt, 
you know, if you look at the journey from, say, you know, here in Australia, grade four is like, I don't know, what, 12, 13, 10, 11 years old. Um, and then you go into this, everybody else was like, well, my dad's in the bank and my mom's a teller and, and you know, and, and my dad's a whatever, you know, and, you know, in a job, uh, fire brigade or, or, or working for an airline. I was like, oh, well, maybe I'm meant to get a job. And then you go see the career counsellor and the career counsellor is a teacher who's a public servant in a school and they don't have necessarily any visibility of being an entrepreneur or being a business owner. Like, you know, there wasn't at my high school, I went to a state high school, nothing special. Um, there wasn't many people that, you know, that, that were running businesses. I didn't go to a school where there was lots of contractors. Um, and so... Was a few people that were kind of their parents were high up and directors of, of you know i remember one of my good friends was a director of a big construction company so i think there's those two points because that was what i was writing on the you know the career form in grade school but then um then there's another point in time which is actually you know this would be far easier if i did this just did this myself like get the get the corporate machine get the man out of the way so i can just help people without the filter like there's a corp, there's human resources and and the finance team and there's all this crap that stops you from actually getting right down and saying actually I want to sit with you whomever that might be and whatever that the amazing service you've got a problem and I can solve that problem because I've got this great thing this great product this great service what get out of my way I'm coming in and so for me that was really that critical time now I had two I had two starts. I had a start in 2000, uh, actually 99, and um, you know I forget exactly how old I was back then, but let's put me in my low 20s. Um, and so then, um, then we brought in goods and services tax here in Australia, and so small business got literally like blown over by a tornado, flat on their backs, because we had a completely ref a massive reform of the tax system where all of a sudden you needed to start reporting what's called a business activity statement. You had to add 10% tax to all of your uh, goods and services. There was a few exclusions, you know, fruit and vegetable, un unprocessed food, and things like that, that were exempt from tax. And so I was like, this is too hard, you know, and they got it wrong in version one. It's better. It's, you know, it's, we're, we're now a long, long way down the track, you know, 23 years later. Um, and so I went, you know what, this is too hard. I'm just going to go get a job. So I got a job and I freelanced and then, um, and you know, freelanced as what we would call casual. And then in 2004, I was like, enough's enough. Get out of my way. Um, and I quit. I literally quit my job and I said to my wife, I've got an $8,000 tax return. Um, I, I have to do something different. Like this is killing me. I am, I am a person that doesn't stop. I have a huge amount of energy. And, you know, I was on airplanes on Sunday morning out to wherever I had to go. I was coming home on Saturday morning, getting the red eye home from, from wherever I was, you know, four or five hour flight landing Saturday morning, doing my washing, passing out on the lounge in the living room. And my wife's like, are we going out Saturday night? I'm like, I've got nothing left. And she, she gave me an ultimatum. She was just like, like, I don't see you. You're not here anyway when you're here. This has got to change. And, and I went to my boss. I pushed my laptop and my keys and my swipe card across the table. And I said, I quit. And she's like, you got a notice period. It's like, I don't care. I'm gone right now. And I walked out the door. Um, and then, you know, the people that, that knew that I had um, a solution to their problem 
Um, and, and in this instance, we do productivity improvements and process improvements and help small and medium-sized businesses scale. And they were like, and so when your product or service is so good, you will often have, you know, customers reaching through the webcam to pull you in. And that's what happened. Um, I quit. I needed time off. I literally went surfing for a month. Um, and, and I was really excited. And, 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 and so people just started reaching out to me and I was like, all right, I'll come help you. And, and, and they're like, well, how much? And I said, well, I don't really want to work. So it's a thousand dollars, you know, and that, and they're like a thousand dollars a day. I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, actually, yes. You know? And then, so it was like a thousand dollars a day, thousand dollars a day. And I took my $8,000 that I had as my tax return. Um, and I literally started putting the money in the bank. And I said to my wife, look, if we run out of like four weeks worth of cash flow, then, you know, I'll go look for a job, you know? And then I started putting the thousand dollars in the bank and I said, I oh, actually we've got 12 weeks worth of cash flow now. Um, you know, I burn, if you like. So all the, you know, we, we call that now in startup world, what's your burn rate? And our burn rate was only a couple of hundred bucks a week. Um, and my wife was working full time for a vitamin company and we had, you know, really healthy lifestyle, which was really great. And surfing every day. And I'm like, this is pretty good. I work one day a week and get a thousand dollars. It gives us an extra three weeks worth of cash flow. Like, how good is this? And then more clients reached out and I was like, oh, okay, I'll help you. I'll help you. You know, six months down the track, I hired somebody because I got too busy and I couldn't surf every day. And and so really that has kind of propelled propelled my life. And now the team is 65 people, you know. So um, and since 2004. So that's kind of in a nutshell, but I think that's that tipping point, and I know I'm kind of laboring this point, is that it's really about if you know you're destined for something bigger, you've got to tap that energy and you've got to do something about it. I really appreciate that a lot of your focus has been <clears throat> on purpose-driven decisions. Like Right from the very beginning, it sounds like you knew that you were meant to do something and help people in a certain way, and rather than let the bureaucracy and red tape get in the way of that, you just wanted to go straight for it. And, uh, that's, that's a scary thing for people to do. How did you deal with, um, you know, the, the anxiety that comes along with passing your keys and, and your laptop over to your boss and, uh, and, and walking out the door? Um, <clears throat> I think, um, for me, I've got a really family. And so, you know, I've kind of, a, I, I've given a lot of this advice. I gave it to myself and I gave given a lot to a lot of other people, you know, you can always move back in with your parents. You know, and so for me, that was really about okay, um, the the anxiety of okay, it, it's, <clears throat> it's this fear of loss, like it's this fear of, I'm going to lose something. So we really, um, excuse me. <clears throat> so we really want to go okay. Um, what have I got to lose? And actually write a list. Now, in that instance, I actually had, <clears throat> you know, my wife to lose. Um, you know, we've been together 25 years, I think now, and and. You know, I had, I so I had that to lose. So it was kind of, I was in, my back was up against the wall, which did actually say, okay, you, you, I need to make a change. I need to adjust myself into a situation where the way that I work automatically will actually work. And that is the best place for me to be is right where I am right now. Um, this is the longest job I've ever had. I've been the leader of this business since 2004. Um, and so I think the anxiety is, it sounds a bit cliche, but, um, you know, I follow Gary Vaynerchuk quite closely. He's a good friend of mine. Um, I spent a lot of time with him and he, he, his advice will be eat $1. I gave this advice to someone yesterday. 
stay in the one bedroom studio apartment or or condo, whatever it is that you call it, uh, apartment, eat $1 slices of pizza every night for dinner. And yes, that might not be healthy, but pull your costs down. If you can't control the price, you've got to control your costs. So in that moment, here's the tactical advice. In that moment, your anxiety is because I can't control my household revenue. There's this kind of unknown. I get that. So you've got to control your costs. So you've got to get your costs right down, your personal costs right down. You, you don't need shit. I've just realized I live in Converse and Levi's and I am doing well financially finally in my life. And I've just realized I've got like this fancy fuck off watch, excuse my language, in a drawer that I don't wear. Like, I don't know why I bought it. I had a moment of weakness like seven or eight years ago. It's longer. It's 10 years ago. I looked at it the other day. And I was like, that doesn't even inspire me. I had this kind of moment of weakness for this, you know, really expensive watch. So you've got to control your costs. And, and I think if you're doing it in the first instance, if you're doing it because you want to buy a really fancy car, if you're doing it because you, um, you know, whatever the, the kind of tactile things, and that is fine, but there are better ways to make money than running a business. Running, starting and running a small business is not the pathway the fast pathway to making a lot of money. Go make the money working for someone as the number two or number three if that's why you're doing it. It's about you're really passionate about solving a big problem, a big headache for somebody. That's what starting a small business is about. And, And it can grow to be a big business. It's not about making money. Like every single small to medium business owner, even the big business owners, they'll tell you that there's no money in business for the first seven, eight, nine, 10 years. And, and you really don't start succeeding for 15 to 20. Yes, there's bloody unicorns out there. And I hate social media for this reason, because we are turning these people, that fluke being in the right place at the right time to become the unicorn of Silicon Valley or whatever it might be, you know? That's um, the lottery they shot. Are rare. 100%. 100%. You know, Steve Jobs was nobody special. He was just in the right time, in the right place at the right time. And he kind of, you know, all, all the Swiss cheese effect, he found the tunnel through the Swiss cheese, um, but it could have been anybody. And, and he, he plugged away at it for like 40 years. And people don't, people don't acknowledge the fact that Apple's where it is today. Like I was in the US down in Texas in 1983, seeing some family friends and they had an Apple computer and it was the Macintosh, you know, and it was a piece of shit. And so, you know, and, and look at what we got today. Like I was looking this morning on our, on our kitchen bench, you know, there's like three iPads and three iPods and three iPhones and MacBooks and everything. This house is full of Apple devices and Apple TVs everywhere. That's where we are today. But back then it was like, you don't have this in your house. It's rubbish, you know? So, so I do think that, the right reasons, purpose-driven. Um, now, if somebody is stuck because they're like, right, I've started the business, I'm right here, what do you do? Get very clear on your problem statement, really clear on the problem statement. So the problem statement, I've, you know, your vision, your why, your Simon Sinek why, whatever you kind of want to follow, get really clear on that problem statement. What is the problem that we solve? When, you know, what is the headache that we help people with? They've got a really big headache and and they're willing to throw money at solving that problem. And that is that is the economics of the transaction. You have something, they have money, and you swap because their money is worth less than your solution. 
that's the reality. Like you go down to buy a cup of coffee, your $5 for your takeaway coffee is worth less than the benefits of the coffee. So you're willing to trade cash for benefits. And so not features, stop focusing on features, like forget features right now. You've got to focus on the, the headache and the benefits and the core benefit that your customer wants. So you go to your customer and you say, what's your favorite benefit of what I do? What does it do for you? How does it make you, how does it enrich your life? How does it fix your business? How does it fix your household? How does it, whatever that might be. Now, really simple. I don't want to get wet when I'm asleep in my bed. So I'm going to get a contractor to put a new roof on my house. The benefit is I don't get wet when I'm asleep, you know, and my possessions that are not waterproof stay dry. And so I don't care what color it is. I don't care what material it is. I don't care the price, any of that kind of stuff. It's a form of insurance. So, so for, you know, for, I'm trying to give you examples of like, you know, people that would be listening to this that are, that are kind of the most common types of business. I don't want my pipes to leak. Okay. So we get a plumber. The, the benefit of using a highly qualified plumber is that your pipes don't explode and flood your house or, or waste water or, you know, those kinds of things. So you've really got to focus in on that. So if you're somebody who's passionate about helping people's confidence uh, to have a safe and happy home, then that could be the vision. That could be the why of a, of a contractor or a plumber. Um, so, you know, I think that's, you know, that that's probably, I know I've kind of given you a really long winded answer to, to the question, but that gives you a kind of a, a, a vision of how I think about this. Well, that uh, opens up the door to uh, the idea that, you know, if you get clear on the problems that you solve, how that benefits the people that you're solving those problems for, uh, it creates another challenge, which is how do you communicate that with the people that you're trying to serve, right? Um, uh, simply put, I guess that that derives a, a really good marketing plan and a way of taking that message and, and putting it into a story vehicle to communicate that with the people that you want to communicate that with. Um, but what, what other challenges uh, in your experience have you seen small businesses face besides that? I think the biggest um, challenge in my view uh, that small businesses have is using the word small. Um, I think um, if I think about good friends and clients, um, uh, I, I don't want it to get too big too quickly. I, I, I don't want it, you know, it, it, it's a small business. We're a small business. Um, it's a it's a form of victim mentality. Um, I, I'm a small business. I can't afford that. I'm a small business. You know, you know, you need you need to be gentle with us. We're a small business. I actually um, just had a call with somebody today. Uh, they're a, like high level worked with Facebook, like at Facebook as an ads specialist, and uh, it, we got to like, okay, well, you know, what is it going to cost me to you know bring you on board to my team? And the number was just a little bit out of my reach. But the way that I uh, the way that I address that was like, listen, right now, um, that's not inside of our budget, but we're working towards that. Uh, so can I keep your contact information for, you know, the occasion that that happens? And it's, it's curious how much of this boils back down to the mindset, like the the state of mind that you have when you're in business. If you believe that you're a small business and you're meant to stay a small business, you're never going to get past that. And I, I love that you touched on that point. Yeah, it's really important. Stop using the term small. Um, you're in business. So 
it, it's about, you know, it, it, it's just, it's, and it's, and it's kind of a word that's got no value. So, you know, even back to like the name of my business, you know, the, the business, I, the first business I started and we rebranded in 2009 was Simat Consulting. And so it was like Kobe's Consulting, if you like. Um, and people are like, well, what does it do? And I was like, oh, right, I'm sick of answering this question. So I'm going to name it what it is. You know, so I think that, that you know, we, we kind of like, oh, I'm going to call it Delta and Delta means this in Greek. And I'm like, forget that. I am the local plumber, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, so, so I think, you know, the small relates to the, the, the size of the group of customers that you serve, not your internal mindset. The group of people that I'm helping right now is a small group. Um, and, and that group's going to get bigger. And so I, if I could kind of inspire people to kind of get out of this small mindset, stop using it as a defense and, and in sales, would the real objection stand up? You know, would the real objection please stand up? Because what you're actually thinking is a lot of, there is a mindset that is across the whole community, which is, I can't afford that. Um, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a household where my dad is a massive fan of toys. And I just remember a really, like this really special day one summer when my dad bought a sailboard. And, and it was like, the, it was amazing. It was brand new. We went to the, the local store that sold sailboards and my dad bought this sailboard Nobody had them. We were like, you know, we're, I come from a sailing family. And, and so it was really exciting. And my, my mom's like, yeah, your dad lives by this philosophy that he who dies with the most toys wins. So I grew up in this household where it was like, there was ne- it was never, we can't afford that. My dad was always like, how are we going to make that work? So, so we've got to, so, so small relates to this can't afford that. And the real objection is, I actually don't see the value in that right now. And you've got to tell yourself that I don't see the value right now. And that's back to what I said with when we exchange, the trade exchange is the, the cash is worth less than the benefit. And even to you, you've got to flip yourself around. And you've got to say, actually, my money is, is at the moment is worth more to me than the benefit of that thing or my, at least my understanding of the benefit of that thing. Now, if I was actually to challenge you on it's not in your budget right now. I'm actually not very good at budgets and kind of that sort of thing because I'm like, at, I, that's why I don't gamble and I don't play poker because I'm like, fuck it, I'm all in. <laughs> um, and that's how I run this business. But, and so that I want that Facebook person's contact details, by the way, because I'll go all in on it. And in 2020, when the pandemic started, I was like, what do I do? Do I go into preservation mode? Do I kind of save my pennies? I don't know how to do that. Not very good at it. How do I make this work? So in 2020, we did 36,000 social media posts. 36,000. We we're, we're posting eight. We we're posting a hundred times a day across five platforms. It was off its head, and and what that has done for our business. I was just like, well, what do I do? Like we're in lockdown. We're here at home. I got to keep my team busy. Have I got have I got cash to burn to to keep going? Like I'm gonna like. I am going to sink this ship trying to keep it afloat. And, and so, and, and, and we, and as a consequence, had my foot so hard on the accelerator that we exploded out of 2020. Like it's been ridiculous. Now that's got its other challenges about burning people out and monotony and, and, and that kind of stuff. And none of my team have had a holiday because we've been in and out of lockdowns. Like we're in a tight lockdown right now. Um, and, and that's a challenge. Like we're like, all right, everybody, we're shutting the business for two weeks this Christmas. 
Um, I need everybody else to take two more weeks. I get you're in lockdown, but like turn your computer off, shut the screen, go outside for two weeks, like sit in your garden for two weeks, do whatever you got to do. Um, so, um, that's a, that's a whole nother challenge, but, but I think, um, that, that small mindset, um, you know, that small mindset is something that, you know, so back to, you know, you were destined to do something bigger, you know, that you, you are, you, you're inspired. You're like, you, you, you're, you're looking in that direction. And so you've got to, you've, you've just got to let it out. And, and I think that if I can inspire one person from this conversation to, you know what, I'm going to stop using the word small. I'm just going to stop. It's not big or, in fact, don't use the word big and don't use the word small. Just use the word business. I'm in business and, 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 biz, and I'm not even there in business. I'm here actually to help people who have this particular challenge. And so my, I should have started with this, but start with why it's important. We are passionate about helping organizations to be great places to work. Clarity, transparency, frameworks, guidelines, more importantly, goals, plans, what's the plan? Um, so they become, they're a great place to work so we can unleash people's potential. The second thing we're there to do is help people's, the customer experience. So we want to be focusing on helping companies, you know, the customers of our customers, we want them to have an incredible buying experience because by default they go, hey, those guys have been working with best practice. I can feel it. I can feel it about them. They care about us. They're purpose-focused. Um, they're always trying to improve the customer's experience. They're completely 100% laser focused on the customer's experience and we and there are other stakeholders as well you know some of our clients work in quite heavy duty compliance requirements oil and gas things like that so it's it's by default you know they can be really tight you know intricate service level agreements and things like that and more importantly that for for i'm going to use the term and i apologize small and medium enterprises that they actually are an investment they're not a noose around the business owner's neck that they, they become something that they can, you know, that benefit from. And I'll give you an example. I literally two weeks ago have just come back from nine weeks off. Now, anybody looking at our social media and our business operating, unless you went into our YouTube channel and watched my vlogs, you would have realized that, yes, I was away, you know, on a road trip. Um, I've been able to do that. And, and so it's kind of cliche, but the best way to grow a small to medium enterprise is to gear it so you can take 12 weeks off because it will really unpack the biggest pothole you have in your business. And the first time I did it was in 2008. I traveled the West Coast of South America with my wife. Um, we caught 52 buses. We kind of, I'd started a business, but we went back backpacking. How do I get this business to run so we can go backpacking? And I came back and I realized I had given everybody, I put three months worth of wages and salaries in the bank and it was in there in cash. So while I was away, everybody would get paid. I, I had I had sold sold myself till there was no leather left on the bottom of my shoes, and they had three months worth of work to do. In fact, four months worth of work to do. I got back, and we fell flat on our face. Like I walked back in the door, the cash was almost used up, the work was almost done, and I was like, right, what's next? And they're like, no one had sent a quote to any customers for three months. I hadn't actually put a salesperson in place, and so I was like, oh. Right. So we, we kind of had a flat spot and we rebuilt from there. And I realized actually, okay, I need, that's, that's the thing that we need right now. We need a salesperson. And so we went into sales mode and then I was like, oh, I got to feed this beast. We went into marketing mode, got to generate leads. And then that's how this kind of business grew. So 
So I think, you know, it is, and, and coincidentally in 2007, I read a book, how to grow your business by taking three months off. I was like, give me that book. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I love the idea of the fail fast, fail frequent, fail forward. It's been a huge part of my mantra in also in, uh, in addition to ready, fire, aim. these ideas that, you know, you can only do so much to get prepared. And until you're actually in the mix of things, there's, there's nothing else that you can do. And so for you taking three months off and building a business that ran itself for that amount of time, uh, that was the, that was the dream. But then to come back and find out, Oh, wait a minute, we're missing some pieces for this machine to continue to function. And then, and that's the, that's the learn. You learn that from that small failure nothing completely fell apart. I'm sure that there was some very heavy duty challenges that you had to deal with, but um, just that idea that you would have never known to add that in or supplement that, that team with, you know, this other thing, if it hadn't been for you being brave enough to go and do something like backpack the West coast of South America. And I literally, I got home from that trip and I landed, forget the sales challenge, the day the GFC happened. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And it was like, it was like, boom, boom. So yes, it was, a, it, was a, it was a massive challenge, you know, but you know, it's all good. So bef- before we get into the, the, what holds people back um, conversation we have, I, w- I want to go back to something you said, because it, it really resonates with me. So lately I've had this question come up to me f- uh, from people that I talk with and they, uh, I sat down with, with somebody that owns a restaurant. I tore apart their business at 12 years. They've ran it. It's been profitable. And in 24 hours, we found like another 15% of profit. And, you know, I've done this with a few different, with a different, and they come with like the same question because I don't have university. I don't have college. And they're like, and, and I'm fairly young compared to them, right? Like I'm 32 and they look at me and they go, how do you know this? How did you just do that? right? I've done this for 12 years and I didn't figure that out. What, how did you do that? And I've had to come up with an answer to myself. Like, how did, how did I learn this? How do I know this? What was you for you to sit on that beach surfing and somebody, you know, phone you and say, we want your services. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, thousand bucks. What was your background? What caused you to, to have the ability to actually have that service that you could value there? And people were like, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, I think um, I think uh, I talk a lot in analogies, and so I'm going to give you an analogy. Um, my family moved around a little bit, but at one point we lived in the same house for 15 years. And um, and part of my story is that my dad's business failed, and and we had four days to move out of that house. And I just remember how much shit we needed to get out that we just hadn't used. And so, someone who's running a business for 12 years will go through obviously highs and lows and, and, and they've built up goodwill and they've got a you know, good percentage of repeat business. But what you have, what a younger person has in, in both those scenarios, so myself in 2004 and yourself recently, you haven't got any baggage. So, so you have what I call very clearly the three legs of a stool. You haven't got a stool that's, that's like a, it's not a 44-gallon drum, right? It's got three very clear legs. And as you get older, your stool grows more legs. Let me tell you what the stool legs are. They are, first and foremost, is knowledge. So you've got some recently acquired knowledge 
and, and you've got, um, you know, maybe you've been, you know, you've been plowing through the books. Like I'm an avid reader, like around my screen right now, there's books everywhere uh, in my office, in my studio, there's hundreds of books. And so I, I'm like picking up, I'm picking up recipes. You know, I've got, let's call these, they're, biz, they're all business books on marketing and sales and mergers, acquisitions, et cetera. Let's call them recipe books. So I've got these recipe books. So you've been, you've had your head in the recipe books. Now, because you've read so many books, you kind of motivate yourself. You have this internal energy and you're bursting. You're like, you know, what? I've got to get out there and I've got to experiment. So you experiment yourself. You'll do some doodling on a page and maybe you talk to a few people. You're passionate and motivated. You go and have a beer with some friends and you're like talking about this stuff. So then you, 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 you have confidence. So the, third, the first one's knowledge. The second one's confidence. And so you've got confidence and, and um, you know, and, and so there's, you know, there's some rude words we can say about that. You, you're very, bull, let's call it bullish. You're very bullish. And so you've got this confidence. And so then you can actually then make a commitment to actually do something about it. Now, a business owner that's been in business for 12 years has all these other legs to the stool. They've got all this other knowledge and experiments and experience and, and a lack of confidence and they've been burnt. Um, they've they they're they've worn the same pair of sunglasses for five summers in a row and they're scratched. And so and they just can't see. But you come in and you're like, you've only read six recipe books. They've read 150 recipe books, and that's a handicap because they've got too many options and they've got too much knowledge. You just come at it. Now, the other thing I just want to quickly say, which is probably that if you want to have a four-legged chair, is that. It's 2020 right now. And as humanity, if we got anything right, is our knowledge is getting easier to consume. It's more accessible. And so younger people are smarter. It's a thing. So you, you, you might have had that same level of confidence and knowledge 20 years ago at the age of 40. You have to give our education systems and the internet and podcasts some credit for actually educating educating people on the right things and better solutions to problems. And look at these smartphones and computers that we have like right now. I'm reading a book um, right now, a really exciting book that I'm, I'm really loving called Where Are the Customers Yachts? It was published in 1930. And I'm reading it because I'm, I'm like, what was the same and what was different? They're talking about a full-time person on Wall Street in, in the trading floors. Their full-time job was to untangle phone calls like, so, so we, well, phones are all cordless now. Like who's got a, who's got a phone with a cord attached to it? Like it just doesn't exist anymore. So, so when you, and that was a full time, that, there were somebody in every single office and their, their full-time job was to run around and untangle all the phone calls. Um, so, so you have to give yourself some credit. And so your answer to the question is shit just got real and, and it's more accessible. And by the way, I don't have all the baggage. So I can, I am a specialist in solving this specific problem for you. I'm not a generalist. I'm a specialist. My answer to your question is this. I'm a specialist in solving these problems. I spend time educating myself on that. And I don't have all of the baggage of running a business for 14 years. So I can come in and solve that problem. Do you find that you, especially going into businesses that um, or companies and, and getting that fresh perspective, when you go in, do you find you think differently than a lot of, a lot of your clients? That's 
that's something that I found. I, I use this analogy when I, when I was explaining to Devin kind of how I process information. When I go into a restaurant like Red Robins, for example, everyone's thinking about their food and they're thinking about what they're going to order. In the meantime, I'm thinking about how are they making that drink bottomless? How are they profiting there? How are the fries bottomless? How is this going on? How many people ordered a beer? How many people ordered burgers? How many staff do they have? Like my mind's going a million miles an hour trying to break the algorithm that is this business in front of me, whereas everyone else is just focusing on the service at hand. And so when I do that, I go into businesses, whether it's shopping or whether it's a client's business, that's how my brain works. Do you find that you think differently than your clients? And that's why you're able to actually maybe have an unbiased or, you know, kind of clear image of their business. Yeah. hundred percent. Look, if you were a plumber, uh, I keep using that example and you went in and had a look at someone's house, you would notice the faults and flaws with the pipes. If you were a roofer, you would notice the faults and flaws with the roof. If you were a painter, you'd notice that. If you were a drywall contractor um, and, and doing, you know, here in Australia, we call it gyprock, rock, um, you would notice that. And so if I go back to a time when I was in my mid-20s, um, you know, from, from kind of uh, like about 20 to 25, I worked for a commercial contractor. That's what I was noticing. And so I can, I can honestly say to you that your enthusiasm for your subject is causing you to notice those things and 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 concern those things. So you will have, um, you know, like Luke, our sound engineer, will notice audio. We did a test yesterday around, you know, just as far as this, what we're doing right now. We did a test of some um, Apple AirPods, my MacBook, some other bits and pieces. We worked out that the microphone and the speaker system on my MacBook is better than anything plugged in USB. Um, and so he noticed that I'm like, what's better. And I was like counting to 20, let me count to 10 and then I'll plug the mic in at 10 and then see if it instantly changes. He could notice the differences because he's passionate about that subject. So, so then the question is how could a small business owner do it themselves? Let's give them some value. So if they're right now, they're like, actually, I don't know if I've got budget for, for external talent to come in. And, and we need to call it talent because you've got talent. I've got, we've all got talent in this group that's talking right now. They don't have budget or they don't see the value in that right now. How could they do it themselves? Become the doctorate of the subject matter. And I think that's really important. And, and particularly restaurant owners, they go very deep on the flavors and the tastes. And we're going to sprinkle it with this and we're going to do this kind of stuff and we're going to make it amazing. We're going to be Gordon Ramsay or pick a celebrity chef. They haven't become the doctorate of how the business functions in the business model. They haven't become the doctorate of being a leader of the team. And so, you know, I work, I've worked in hospitality. If you don't control the environment and a leader step, steps up, a toxic chef will kill the business. And, and there, there, there is the egos of chefs is, is out of control. And if you haven't got a strong leader that is leading the business and getting the chef to focus on making amazing food, it will kill the business. I've seen so many uh, businesses die that way because the chef is sitting in the kitchen trying to get food out the door and forgetting the fact that the front of house staff are dealing with a thousand different personalities of the customers coming every, every day and, and doing that sort of stuff. So you've got these front of house people running backwards and forwards from a toxic chef out to a customer and trying to keep customers happy. And that's how you break floor staff and service. Can we just do a so, podcast on restaurants? Because you're speaking exactly my problem that I'm running into with a client right now. Hundred percent. Let's let's circle back because I have a I have a diploma in 
tourism and hospitality management, like from, from 90, 94, 95, I, I, I destroyed myself in high school. I, I failed every single thing. I didn't get a single thing right. Um, I, I hated high school. Uh, there's been stories written about that. A couple of people have um, interviewed me and talked to me about that kind of high school story. So my mom said to me, you either got to pay full rent to live here or you can study. And I was like, oh, I've got to study. Um, I can't afford to pay mum rent, you know, when I, when I was 18 years old. And so I got myself into a hospitality college. I worked in a whole bunch of really, really, really nice restaurants here in Sydney, Australia, um, with all the top chefs and all the top restaurateurs. Um, you know, I was at a restaurant. We won the American Express Awards for best restaurant in Australia. Um, and so I got a really good basis. And you can see my wine, some of my wine collection behind me. Um, so um, it's, I've developed this ridiculously expensive taste for wine. But um, as a consequence, but. What I did was I studied for two years how to run a five-star hotel full-time. We can go deep on that subject, but I take that. And so I, I literally use that. One of my filters, when we're trying to solve a problem in business, here's another tip for everyone listening. When we're trying to solve a problem in business, instead of trying to solve the problem, I want to empower my team. Culture is about having your team able to make decisions in your absence in the way you would make a decision. So I spend 99% of my time training my team how to make decisions. So I give them this statement every single day. Okay, they're talking about a problem. What's the five-star version of the situation? How would a five-star hotel solve that problem? What would we see as a customer of a five-star hotel? Now, unfortunately, now there's six and seven-star hotels, but you know, let's put that aside. How, what's the five-star version of this situation? And it does say, okay, well, we should focus on the customer. We should focus on the other person. So it's a form of empathy and empathizing with the other person. What's the five-star version of this situation? And I listened to them. I just took that nine-week trip. I came back. I was sitting in an exact meeting. I'm going into one in, 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 in uh, an hour. Um, and, and I will hear them say that. And they'll be like, they'll be negotiating, trying to solve a problem. And I'll hear them say, okay, hang on a minute. What's a five-star version situation? Now, to your comment earlier about that Facebook ad specialist, that's the five-star version of the situation. Like right now, you can't afford five-star. Uh, you can't make that work. You're going to hustle to make it work. So, so I think that, you know, we can use these hospitality examples and restaurateur examples in all businesses. Um, and I think that is one actual complaint of contractors. And I know I keep coming back to that, but they, small business contractors, plumbers, you know, uh, roofers, bricklayers, you know, all the different contractors, they don't have a five-star service and they don't turn up when they say they're going to turn up and they kind of don't finish the job how they say and they don't put the effort into the presentation of the food on the plate like a, an amazing chef would. So we can learn examples from other industries. So I just want to give you that other credit for your abilities. You get to see other industries. That restaurateur that we talked about earlier, they've been in that same restaurant for what, did you say, 12 years? They haven't got any context. They've got context of other businesses as a customer, but they haven't got context of, they haven't been into four different brands of engine as a mechanic. You know, a mechanic that's working on Nissan and Toyota and GM and Chevy and, you know, Ford, they're getting to see the benefits of the best bits of each one and saying, actually, we can, we can actually take some of these parts and put them together to make something really good. It's crazy because I think about, um, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast once before, 
empowering your your team to to make decisions for you there's an old style of management that used to be very task oriented so the hierarchy is you know the boss here are your tasks complete those tasks then come to me for more tasks but that's old it's and and, and it's ineffective and it doesn't work anymore versus the newer version of management which is goal oriented so here's the goal to serve our clients with five-star service in whatever industry that you might be in, how can you do that? And I, I recall a, um, like an ideology in, in self-development that I've, I've kind of adopted, which is uh, in any particular situation, especially the challenging ones, you ask yourself that question, what would the best version of myself do in this, in this moment? So I don't know, you're fighting with, uh, with your significant other or something. And <clears throat> they're obviously hurting and they're saying things and it's uh, it may be even um, angry or, or abrasive in nature. And when, when you receive that information, you know, your first reaction is to become defensive and, and attack back. And that's the ego talking, which I think you touched on before that ego is getting in the way of you actually doing the thing that you're meant to be doing, which is the five-star service. So, so it's like, okay, what would the best version of me do right now? Okay. Maybe I should just be quiet and listen and empathize with what's going on and then see if there is something that I have done that's created this problem. And if that is the case, I get the opportunity now to take responsibility for that and do more. And the way that you take that idea now and um, I don't know, install it into a company's culture is just so powerful to the way that um, these new businesses or uh, business owners can kind of break that paradigm that they're in and open up their opportunity for growth. Because without that, they're kind of, you're stuck, right? You're stuck in that plateau. So if, if somebody's there in that space and they're kind of caught in all of those old habits, and you probably have a lot of experience in this, what are some, um, some, some strategies that they can start to deploy to, begin to, you know, shift those, those, uh, habits and, and, and build their business a little bit stronger. Yeah. Look, I think, um, there's some, there's some science, uh, behind a, a strategy. And if, if someone listening wants to do a Google search on, you know, we have to remember that we're the leader and the percentages are essentially 15% of the population are the leaders and, and 85% of the population are, employees essentially um and and team members and so um so we need to do a deep dive in the same ways we need to a deep dive on our customers and the benefit they're looking for we've got to do the deep dive on our team members and and we need to remember it's an organization um i take a bottom-up approach so i'm here to serve i'm here to make sure everyone's got everything that they need to do their job i need to make sure they've got the knowledge that they need i need to make sure they've got the resources, the time. I need to make sure they're in a best self position to do the job. Like if they're thinking about something that happened at home or they're worried about something, I'm not going to have them, you know, you know, mindful at work. They're not, they're not thinking about actually this amazing service. They're, they're thinking about, oh, my car's broken down or I'm out of fuel or there's no food in the house or what am I going to cook for dinner? They're thinking about that. And, and don't expect them to work as hard as you. So I think the first thing is don't expect them to work as hard as you. Do a Google search on motivating factors and hygiene factors. So there are hygiene factors. Are they paid properly, on time, accurately? That's a hygiene factor. Not how much, but that 
that those mechanical things, there's no fear about, there's no variation. They know that exactly at 9.05 on a Tuesday morning, their money's deposited into their bank account. Um, they know that there is, you know, very clear agreement around their leave and 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 when they're working and, and how much notice they need to give for leave or how much notice they're going to get for a shift. You know, if they're casual, you know, employed on a casual basis, that you know, that those are hygiene factors. That it's safe in the workplace. That that you know, they're kind of like they don't need to like ready, you know, to duck a dodge. You know, um, you, you know, we've got to get those hygiene factors right. And I think that as a leader, it's it's absolutely your legal responsibility to ensure that you're very clear and, and understanding and knowledgeable on your legal compliance requirements as it affects your employees. Those are hygiene factors. Then we can have motivating factors. And so when we want to empower people, so you know, the the, the pretext here is we want to grow this business. Like it's it's about, you know, we can have an open conversation about businesses are there to solve problems but fundamentally they're there to generate profit. If you choose to reinvest that profit, that's fine, but you have to be focused on generating profit. Like let's have that conversation because some people don't want to have that. Like I'm doing these revenues and I'm doing these great revenue growth numbers. Forget that. It's there to generate profit because it's there to actually add value for you to do the things you want to do in your life. You need to put a roof over your head. You need to do with all the stuff at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You need to have a roof. You need food. You need to look after your family. The business, you've chosen a pathway to earning an income that is uncapped. There's no top. And so it's, you have to have that frank conversation with yourself about it's there to generate profit. Um, then with motivating factors, and I've, I was actually, um, we've got a number of businesses in our kind of family group. Um, there's about 250 employees between me and my brother. Um, and we spend a lot of time talking about motivating factors. Now, I was with a business owner last week and they were like, it's too hard to get people. No one wants to work. You know, I live on a thin strip of Sydney where there's 25 of the best beaches on the planet out the front of my house um, in war and it's warm water and it's safe. And the, the outdoor environment is incredible. Sydney, Australia is, is a five-star paradise. And you've got, and these business owners are saying, no one wants to come and work. And it's at a yacht club on a slipway doing bottom paint on boats. And this business owner is like, um, no one wants to come and work on the slipway. Um, the boats are getting hauled out. All the, all the junk is getting high pressure washed off the bottom and it's black paint and no one wants to do that. I said, that's a load of rubbish. I said, I know other places where they have a huge amount of fun and people are like banging on the door saying, that sounds like a fun place to work. I want to go there. We have... In one of our businesses, a powder coating factory. Part of it, part of the factory is powder coating. It's a sheet. It, it does industrial design, incredible. Does these incredible projects. But one part of it is powder coating metal. I walked through there yesterday. There's guys in white suits. They are green because at the moment we've got a supermarket chain that's ordering a heap of hand sanitizer units for COVID. We're making all of those. Um, to keep those supermarkets safe. And these guys are painting it all, you know, spraying it all green. They're covered in it. We have guys from our local community banging on our door, queuing up the front at 7 a.m. in the morning to work for us in that part of our factory. It's base dollars. The, 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 um, the hotels, like the public bars are not open at the moment. So there's no word of mouth. They are hearing rumors through the community about how good it is to work there and how good it is to work for us. It is dirty. They get absolutely filthy. It's hot. They're dealing with a 240-degree oven. 
they're lifting all day metal components and hanging them on racks and sliding them, spraying them. They're rubbing everything with rubbing alcohol to clean it. It is a filthy job. There's only kind of one job that's sturdier than that, and that is maybe like bags of trash full of maggots into a tip, you know? So why is that? They do, we do two things, very simply two things. We buy everybody lunch every single day. And so they they are curious about what's for lunch today. They got so Mitch's get, attention. <laughs> we, I'm in. We literally, we get truckloads of KFC. We get truckloads of Subway. We get truckloads of burgers. Uh, we get truckloads of barbecue chicken. We get we get truckloads of sushi delivered. And I think we might spend $300 a day on lunch to feed all these guys. And they eat like horses. You know, it's like, ah. The second thing they do is we bought them an enormous stereo and they they run, a, they're DJing all day. So none of them can go clubbing. There is this enormous boombox and then there's a Spotify there's a Spotify uh, iPod sitting on top and they take turns DJing and then they, they just spend the whole day razzing each other about the shit music that each person chooses. They have a lot of fun and you should see the smiles on their faces. The, and that is a motivating factor. Now that is that is contrived. We've seen what works. We doubled down on it, and we went actually for the productivity levels that we're getting out of these guys. The it's a no-brainer. Like you know, and and we've had to work around COVID requirements and social distancing and and masks. Everybody's wearing masks in our factory all day in a hot, dusty environment. And so it's like making sure that everybody's getting two or three masks a day that are disposable, making sure that everybody's looked after. There's all that kind of stuff. And so the fact that like there we have a 40-foot shipping container full of disposable masks out the back of our factory. And there is they if they need to take a handful, if they need to take a couple of boxes to take home for their family, they take it. You know, and so there's those things right now in this environment where it could be completely incredibly toxic. And we couldn't be, you know, and and by the way, we're doing meaningful work. So, you know, they're, pr- they're proud of the work. They can see their work in their local supermarket when their family goes to do the shopping. And they're like, I painted that, you know, at the local supermarket. So hygiene factors and motivating factors really important to empower your team and focus on that. Like a, with the, with the we've got, and then we've got this really technically competent, smart bunch of business coaches and recruiters and, and best practice assessors we sent everybody out hampers this week for we here in Australia today. It's Are You Okay Day. Um, that's today, um, and that is a campaign to say, "Hey, reach out to a friend and say, Are you okay?" And I'm a massive advocate for mental health and mental, you know, awareness of people next to you that might be struggling. And so, um, and you know, it, deep deep down, it's also about suicide prevention. But um, you know that that for me is something that's really important is to be saying, okay, well, here we can do this. And they're getting, they are getting a great sense of pride. Um, and, and it's something that you can say. Now you can say, so we sent these hampers to everybody in the team. Are you okay? It's got some chocolate bombs for hot chocolates and some brownies and some marshmallows. And, you know, and I've got, you know, a cup here on the video. We've printed cups with everyone's name um, and some best practice stuff and sent that out to everybody because, you know, there's all the technical office people are working from home and have been for, you know, 18 months now. Um, and so they've got the brand, you know, at home. And this one says, um, be so good they can't ignore you. You know, they sent that to me. Um, 
it costs money, you know, like I get it. I get it. It costs money, but you've got to invest. If you want to get a dividend, you've got to invest. And this is back to that small business, you know, small victim mentality is if, if you don't invest, you won't get the dividends. The bigger your investment, the bigger the dividend. I, hey, Mitch, I actually like, talked about oh. this at the at our like second or third podcast about the cost of taking we coffee. We go all away. in. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. That's what was going through my mind. The water cooler, right? Taking yep. away the water cooler because you wanted to save $15 a week, but, and because you thought people were, you know, lazy because they're standing around the water cooler when that's their mental recharge. Taking advantage of you. Yeah, taking advantage of, of company time. But the example that you have, what I think is beautiful about that, it's not that just you're showing you're, you're looking after them. Like most people, and, and not in lockdowns, like I understand that it's kind of a weird situation, but for the most part, people spend, you know, 15, 20, $25 a day to go eat lunch. So for the company to spend $300, $400 a day, but yet it saves each employee $25 it offsets, you know, having a lower wage, that dollar or two, because now you're not putting that into food. It's just straight take home and you're being looked after. And so it's kind of a win-win. And I love seeing the bigger picture when businesses appreciate that and looking after their families as well, you know, saying, if you need to take this home for your family, go take it for your family. Like that means so much to employees. And I think businesses, especially small and medium-sized businesses that I work with, they, they like the concept of it, but they have no way to apply it. No one's ever showed them how to actually present empathy to their workers. They like the concept, but they don't know how to apply it. And they're missing out on that beautiful opportunity, not just to help their clients, but to help people that want to invest in them with their time. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't look, I'm going to say to you, like when I started, we had a great little team back to that kind of time when I took three months off and, you know, some days we would go out to lunch together and I would shout lunch. Um, and then, you know, we would play carpet lawn bowls in the office. We got these, mark, we got these tiny little lawn bowls. I got from my grandmother. They're like antique and we we play with them in the office and we did that. And then the business started to grow and money got really tight. And so some of those things, I stopped doing some of those things and I can acknowledge a time when I kind of lost the value of that. Um, and 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 it had now I look back, it had a toxic impact on the team and the business. Um, so it is, I get it. If money is tight, it's a hard thing to kind of think about. But if, if let's talk about restaurants, um, a staff meal, you know, like I can think about a time when we used to all sit down before the shift started or after the shift and sit down and have a staff meal. And it was kind of whatever was kind of available from the team um, in, um, in, in you, know, you know, leftover food kind of et cetera. And, and I think that is, think, if you can think about things that are kind of, um, low cost to you, high value to your team members, you know, fundamentally there's, there's something that they're proud of, of the organization that they're working for. And so, you know, what are perks that you can add in and give to people from your organization? Um, you know, what are some of those perks? Because I think if you can, if you can use that, it's a small thing and it's those small little things and, and we can break it down in terms of what it might be, but um, you know, it doesn't always have to be gifts. It doesn't always have to be something that, you know, if you can't afford to send hampers out to everybody right now, like what we're doing, and, and I will acknowledge that not everybody values that. You know, some people are like, this is a waste of money. Why are they doing this? Well, if someone's thinking like that, they probably, probably shouldn't be on your team anyway. And if you suspect someone thinks like that, 
start thinking about exiting them from your business because they're not a A player. They're a B player or a C player. That's not the culture you want to have because they'll have that attitude towards other parts of your business. Um, so, but if they, they might go, oh, I don't know if I agree with that, um, but I can see why it's good for other people. Then they're the people that are a B player and you can coach them up to an A player. Um, but what I can say is that there are five love languages. Gifts is one of them, you know, words of affirmation. So if you can't send out hampers, make sure you're, you're thanking everybody every day. Say, hey, I really appreciate the effort that you've been putting in. I know it's been tough, but I just want to make sure that you know that I value your efforts. That's a compliment. You know, quality time. I've been doing, I try to do one-on-ones with as many team members as I can. Um, and so we've had to shorten those one-on-ones down to kind of 15 minutes because my calendar is really full. But I just, when I, I open up with a question, they all laugh because I ask the same question. They come on the screen and I say, what's on your mind? And I just sit in silence. And for them, that's quality time. You know, right now, because we're all locked down and that kind of stuff, I can't give them a pat on the back. But, and I know touch is a funny thing in the workplace with sexual harassment and that sort of stuff. But we like, come here, I'm going to sexually harass you. And we have man hugs in our office. Um, you know, and and we, we kind of make a light heart. If someone's uncomfortable, like, you know, I, I create safe space for them to kind of share that actually I'm not comfortable with the whole touch thing. But, you know, and there's a, you know, we, we joke, I'm known for calling everybody handsome and everybody hot stuff. Hello, hot stuff. Hello, handsome. How are you going? You know, and, and so it's, that's the positive energy. And so those five, I use those five love languages from Gary Chapman in our office every day. I have done for, well, I read the book six years ago. It's, you know, it's in quick drawer on my bookshelf here in my office. Um, and so, you know, there's gifts, there's words of affirmation, there's acts of service. What little bugs can you fix in your software system? That are frustrating people, um, you know. There's touch, um, and and then there's quality time. And so, as a business leader, your job is to work out the love language of your team members, and then deploy their. What's the bucket that they most want filled by you? And then don't send the hamper to the person who doesn't like gifts. I hate gifts. Like, don't give me shit. I don't like that. I'd really just like to be acknowledged for my hard effort. You know, the effort I'm putting into my hard work. And, and, and I know, to, you know, time's kind of wrapping away on us, but, you know, you, you'd mentioned that every business wants to grow, right? Maybe they don't want to become Amazon. Maybe they don't want to become Microsoft, but they want to grow, right? They want to make money. And that's why they started businesses because they do want to have profit. What do you find as a commonality? Because I got my own opinions on this one, but what do you find as a commonality that holds businesses back from growing. It's not that they don't have the goal or the desire to grow, but something is holding them back. My personal thing is they, they lack, um, first of all, a proper culture so that their business can be sustainable, but they also don't fully implement proper customer service or, you know, understanding people's roles. And I think that that hinders them. What are you finding as you're working with businesses? I want to start by saying, I absolutely agree with that. And I just want to give you something that sits in front of that, which is it's routine. So the business owner doesn't have a routine of getting up at the same time in the morning. They got it. And that starts with going to bed. So setting an alarm and going to bed at nine or 10 o'clock at night, I get restaurants are open later. So, but it's having a fixed time to go to bed um, because you can't, you, you have to sleep. The human, you know, the, the homo sapien species is designed to sleep for one third of a 24 hour cycle, eight hours. 
It's designed that way. And I don't care what you say. I'm six hours. I'm five hours. I'm four hours. It's bullshit. It's eight hours. It's it's horizontal for eight hours to let your muscle repair, let your blood sugar levels settle down, let anxiety and stress and all those emotional energies manage themselves. So, so the business, what holds them back? If you ask them what time to go to bed, oh, it kind of varies. Routine about bedtime. What happens after you're in bed? Well, you can muck around for an hour if you want. Um, um, seriously, like that too, you know, because because that will often be something. Look, it's a subject is taboo, right? We don't talk about it. But maybe it's the morning, whatever, you know, wherever it is. No, you're right. Admit, you're right. You have to, right? And I'm giggling and because often- I, I'm that guy that I, I I was a musician for a really, really, like I'm still a musician, but I was in that world for a really, really long time. And so being up till three or four in the morning is completely normal for me. And then after that, there's a couple of hours of wind down. So you don't get to bed until other people are literally waking up to go to work the next day. And the, the crazy thing is, is like you, I am so like 100% fixated on getting that eight hours of sleep. Like as soon as I learned the importance of that, as far as your health, your mental health and all that other stuff goes, that was like hardwired. There's no way nobody's disturbing this sleep, but there's yeah. a, there's a psychological effect that kind of kicked in for me where, where I didn't feel like I was a productive member of society. I'm doing, I'm putting in my 16 hours. Like I'm, I'm up and I'm working, I'm doing things and all this other stuff, but uh, it, it, it never really sat well with me. And that's one of the things that I struggled with for a really long time. I've recently taken up uh, journaling again and, and keeping track of my time usage and all that. And I, the, you said set an alarm. I have an alarm at 1130 at night that says go to bed. And so it gives me a, you know, a 10, 15 minute buffer to like be in bed at midnight and then up at eight. And, and that's been a, a big struggle for me. Uh, but ever since I've kind of gotten into that routine of things, you're so spot on with how it's improved just my ability, my confidence, the, the, my mental clarity, the, uh, the sharpness, just all the things that I can do in a day now just feel so much more um, fulfilling and productive. Yeah, you've got, so, you know, we start there. <clears throat> Um, you know, and I think that we can jump too quickly to get up at the same time. So, so, so you, you have to set that eight hour window, no technology, no distractions. So you've got to have that, that, that is just the time for your body to physically grow, do its growing and its repair work. You have to do that. Um, you, you can dip in and out of that in times. And I, I can definitely acknowledge the fact that I have literally burnt a candle at both ends and in the middle, uh, with a blowtorch, um, but then it's so important to set yourself a plan in terms of and, and implement and action this plan of a constant consumption of knowledge while your brain is fresh. The best time to put information in is in the morning after you've had that resting. Your brain has been unconscious for the best part of maybe six and a half to seven hours with your, your different levels of sleep. So you want to basically be then dropping the right foundations in laying bricks on clean fresh mortar ready to go to build the build the foundations so so building those foundations so so i would strongly suggest that consumption of business books first thing in the morning try and avoid uh you have to absolutely stay away from your smartphone you've got to stay away from a screen as, as best as you can for the first hour. Now, whether the workout is before or after um, that knowledge consumption, for me personally, the knowledge consumption first, 
Then I go for, I personally go for a walk. Uh, I do a 10 kilometer walk. There's a lake right by my house and the beach. Um, and so it's, I take two hours. I don't do it really hard. I just go for two hours and I let that information absorb. Um, sometimes I go with people. So I'm fortunate enough to have my brother that lives nine houses down the street. Um, and we take our dogs and we go for a two hour walk. Um, but, but I do need time by myself. Um, and he knows that like, you know, um, he's not so much cause he's, he's nine years younger than me. He's my little brother. But, um, for me, it, it's really about, I can go for that walk. I can, I can clear my head. Um, I can process things. I watch myself. Like I watch how I react. Like I'll be thinking about something and I'll reach for my phone in my pocket to do a Google search on something. I was like, no, put that away. No music, no technology, just kind of enjoy that environment and let life slow down because I can solve some the, the biggest challenges in our organization and in our business over the last 17 years, I have solved on that walk. So, so the workout is really important and the workout realistically needs to be an hour, like 30 minutes in the gym. I kind of don't get it. I think it's kind of like you're ticking the gym box instead of actually going to get the, the dividends of the investment. So whether it's the gym or whether it's outdoors or whatever that might be, you've got to do that exercise. And that is exactly the same as putting the oxygen mask on your face first when the plane is crashing. You've got to look after yourself first. So then the rest of the day, you can react. You can go check emails. You can do that kind of stuff. Because what you've done is you've gone, actually, I need to be a perpetual learner. And the perpetual learning part is, so your question was, what holds business owners back? They are not researching and learning new information every single day. They do it in ad hoc fits and starts. So I have a couple of really crazy things that I do to complement and set me up really well for that. The first thing is if anybody gives me a book recommendation, I buy the book straight away. I literally pull out my iPhone. I have Amazon and eBay beside each other on my phone. Um, and I literally, I go straight. For me, it's eBay because I want to support people. So I try and buy the book secondhand on eBay first. So it's not, you know, it's about consumption and about being sustainable for me. And that is one thing I can do, which is somebody is out there trying to flip secondhand books on eBay. I'm going to support them. So by and large, it's usually half the price anyway. And then I get, I don't want to have this shelf full of brand new books that look like I've never read them. So I also got these books that look like I've already read them, you know, but, you know, but I get these books. So the books turn up and every morning I sit down and I go through the contents page. So, you know, right now I've got a pile beside me that have turned up yesterday by the delivery driver. I probably have two or three books being delivered to my house every single day. I open them up. I go through the contents page. I'm cataloging the contents page in my head, and then I'm a, perpetu a perpetual learner. Now, if you read, there's, there's statistics, and I am a case study on this. So there's statistics out there, plus I'm the case study, the real-life example. If you read for 30 minutes every day, you will double your income each year. I guarantee it. Wow. You've got to, you've got to be selective. <clears throat> you've got to curate the subject matter. But if you read for 30 minutes and then you implement I guarantee you will double your income. So for business owners, and when I'm talking about income, I'm talking about profit. You will double your profits because you will become more aware from people that have solved the problems you're trying to solve on a daily basis. So right now, like yesterday, I haven't even looked at it yet, the, the intelligent investor, um, 
Tim Ferriss put a post up last week. He did a podcast and he and another guy were chatting. They, they recommended five books each. I saw the post on Instagram. I went on to Tim Ferriss's podcast. I got the list. I bought all 10 books. They, half of them have turned up. So, and that was one, that's a book recommendation by Tim Ferriss. So when Tim Ferriss makes a book recommendation, buy it, you know, <laughs> um, I've got Warren Buffett's memos. I've got, um, you know, I've got stuff from Jeff Bezos, you know, like if Jeff Bezos is saying buy a book, Hey, Hey Jeff, what book do you think people should read? And he says the book fucking buy it. Like it's advice. Right. And for business, like that guy has got more content text and more visibility of economics and economy than anybody. So what is it in that book that he's seeing? And so Warren Buffett said, go buy this book, Where Are the Customers Yachts? Because it's a really cynical look at, at Wall Street in 1930, and it's still the same. And so it gives you an unemotional view. So if you are kind of considering investing and you're doing that as a second source of income, it gives you this unemotional attachment to those markets, whether it's cryptocurrency or Wall Street, that kind of stuff, you can step back and you can go, actually, I can see how this whole thing is working right now, you know? Yeah, very, very powerful. Um, so to wrap things up here, we, we touched on so many things. Um, in the very beginning, it was uh, just kind of being brave enough to ready, fire, aim, get out there, try some things, very purpose-driven decision-making. Um, if you feel like you're meant for something bigger, then go chase after that thing because you're doing the world a disservice and not doing it. Uh, and we went into how um, to streamline your processes and systems by creating routines and and uh, developing your habits. Self-development is such a huge part of, uh, I think it's a common thread in, in everything that you've shared today. And, uh, and um, taking what you learn along the way and using it to, uh, to benefit your business and the people around you and building that culture is, is such a, an incredible um, piece of that puzzle to, to help people to, to scale up their businesses, earn more income, get their freedom back, all the things that they've actually been looking for, aside from creating themselves a job. <laughs> um, if, if there was, if there was like one magic bullet solution for, for people who are stuck at their plateau, uh, in a, in a sentence or two, what would that look like for you? Do more. That's beautiful. I think that's a great place to wrap this up. If you're, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, make sure to subscribe, uh, leave a rating for us. It'll help other people discover this so that we can continue to pass on this really great uh, value. If you're watching on YouTube, like uh, drop a comment, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. And if you're catching this anywhere else um, and you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at email the perspective at gmail.com. And uh, me or Mitch will, will get back to you as fast as we can to help you uh, in any way that we can support your business and your growth. For now, that's the end of this episode and we will catch you in the next one. Bye for now. Thanks guys. This was fun. 